R E A R E A R E A R E A Audio October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month, and we'd like to help bring attention to this issue that affects one in four women nationally and one in three women globally. At Reemployability, we're donating a percent of every referral processed in the month of October to The Spring, a domestic violence shelter and nonprofit that provides services in Tampa, Florida. Over the next two weeks, REA Audio will feature aspects of this issue and how places like The Spring become a refuge for survivors and empower those affected by domestic violence to find a way out. If you or someone you know is in need of help, please Google your state name in the words Domestic Violence Coalition for resources similar to The Spring near you. Mindy, week three of our podcast series uh, talking about Domestic Violence Awareness Month. Uh, Mindy Murphy is the president and CEO of The Spring of Tampa Bay. It's a facility that offers services for victims of domestic violence. And this week, Mindy, what we wanted to do is kind of do a virtual tour of the facility here, understanding that although there are some unique features to The Spring here in Tampa, they're very similar to other facilities all across the country. So as we talk about some of these things, uh, I want you all to kind of picture them as very similar to a facility that might be um, right around the corner for you that that you may be able to get involved in. So, so Mindy, I think the number one thing that impressed me uh, when we first walked up to the facility was a 10-foot high gate. Mm-hmm. Uh, the facility is walled and gated, and there's a reason for that. Can you explain why? Yeah, so, I mean, domestic violence centers are hidden in plain sight. Um, statutorily, at least in the state of Florida, we're protected and sh- our addresses are shielded shielded and confidential, um, but you know we're still part of communities and um, as such you've got to be safe and survivors, you know, when they flee to the safety of a domestic violence uh, emergency shelter, they need to feel safe from the moment they set foot. And so there's a perimeter gate um, that has mag locks that close right behind you, close behind cars. Um, there's uh, intercom systems to communicate. There's about 40 or 50 security cameras that are being monitored 24 hours a day, seven days a week, so that survivors know that they and their children are safe behind this gate. Once you walk into our facility, you're in an oasis, uh, and we actually have multiple layers of protection. So you get behind the gate, um, then there's, again, additional um, doors that you have to kind of go through a security process to get through because we want to make it as hard as possible um, for an abuser who is stalking his partner to get in and do harm. It doesn't happen that often, um, but, uh, you know, it it happens occasionally that uh, a a survivor is being followed and tracked by her abusive partner and that abusive partner is going to try to get in. Um, So we want to limit that uh, and make people feel as safe as possible from the the get-go. Uh, and it starts with the gate and it mm-hmm. continues from you know throughout the entire facility. When we first walked into the parking lot, I noticed uh, over in one of the corners was a kennel. Yeah. And you brought to my attention the fact that if someone wants to leave an abuser or a batterer, uh, sometimes they are prevented from because they right. want to bring their animal with them. Yeah. You provide services for that. We do. And since 2007, the spring has had uh, partnerships and relationships with area um, veterinarians and um, and nonprofits that serve uh, animals because uh, we know that uh, a survivor may not <coughs> flee if they have to leave behind one of their family members and pets are family members too. Um, I'll never forget, it haunts me, the survivor I spoke to on the phone um, who finally had the courage to leave her abusive husband um, after he 
uh, made she and her eight-year-old, their eight-year-old child, sit down on the sofa, and he proceeded to pick up their family cat and strangle the cat in mm. their presence, basically saying to them, I can do this to you anytime I want. You know, she was incredibly scared, but bravely left. Um, so, you know, again, somebody, uh, batters will often harm pets. They'll say, oh, I'm just playing with the pet, but, the, you know, the pet is squealing in pain. Um, so when you're thinking about leaving, you're not going to leave your pet behind to potentially be murdered by your partner. And so we have a day kennel. Um, we have services for little critters, um, cats and, and birds and reptiles and bunnies. Uh, <clears throat> bring them in uh, and then provide services to them while the family's in shelter and then reunite them at the end so that they can continue as a family unit. You even mentioned to me that you had services for a horse uh, <coughs> we not, did. not too long yeah. ago, right? So. Yeah, it was a while ago, but we actually made arrangements. Uh, you know, a woman uh, lived in a rural part of our community and wasn't going to leave if she had to leave a horse. So yeah. he threatened to kill her horse. So we found a place for our horse to be safe. So the facilities here in the Tampa mm -hmm. Bay area, the spring, were built specifically for this purpose yep. in the early 80s. So as you walk in the front gate, there's a reception area, and then it opens up to offices for your advocates, which are the folks that uh, handle the day-to-day -day of, of all the services provided sure. here. Can you kind of go through high-level the types of services that are provided and, and how many folks you have working here. Yeah, so we have a, a staff of about 85. Uh, pandemic numbers are about 85. It, you know, after the pandemic, we'll probably staff up a little bit higher, closer to 100. Um, but uh, we have a variety of services, not just our emergency shelter. We actually have services outside of shelter. We have a nine-person legal team. Uh, we have, uh, you know, kids team. We have prevention team. We have um, other services in addition to shelter. At shelter, there's about 45 or 50 people total because we're a 24-hour operation. Shelter includes our 24-7 um, hotline. So 24 hours a day, seven days a week, we're answering calls from survivors, both in crisis and sometimes people who want to provide help and don't know how to do so. Uh, so, you know, we staff a 24-7 hotline, as do every pretty much every domestic violence center in the United States has a 24-7 hotline that you can call and get help. Um, but when you walk in uh, to shelter, our case management officers, our offices are advocates. Everyone who comes into shelter is assigned um, an advocate while they're in shelter with us. And that advocate um, does one-on-one -on -one supportive counseling, uh, lets you know about support groups because we have peer, you know, kind of peer-mediated support groups. Um, uh, a staff member will lead the support group, but it's really peers talking to each other and realizing just how common the tactics mm -hmm. abusers use mm -hmm. are. Um, we've got a whole kids team uh, that has a daycare program as well as a K-5 uh, elementary school um, and then after school um, activities, summer camp, etc. cetera. Uh, we have a full service uh, dining facility. So we have um, professional cooks who provide breakfast, lunch, dinner, and snacks um, for survivors so they don't have to worry about making meals. Uh, and we prep meals that we have on hand. So if a family flees in the middle of the night and they flee with just the clothes on the back and they haven't had a chance to eat, uh, we make sure that they have something to eat um, available 24-7. So really, <clears throat> all our services and shelter are designed to be individualized. So a survivor is going to work with an advocate to create a service plan. So what do I want to do while I'm in shelter? What are my next steps? What, what is going to help me be safer um, and help me become more financially independent, more emotionally um, independent, and help get me and my kids back on our feet um, as we're trying to get out of this unsafe relationship? as well as the safety plan. What does safety look like today? Because what safety looks like for me today could change a week from now if I get a job. So survivors will come in. Sometimes they're maintaining jobs while they're in shelter. Other times they come in and they are job hunting 
and during their time with us in shelter, they're able to land and secure a job. So then what does safety look like? Because once you have a job, you know, if he can find you, how are you going to vary your routine so that you can stay safe? So safety planning, um, <clears throat> service plans, connections to resources, all of that in shelter, as well as you don't have to come into shelter. Most domestic violence centers have services outside of shelter. So it's kind of this myth that you must come into shelter. You can actually access services um, without entering shelter. And you can access services while you're still in, in the unsafe relationship. If you're not yet ready to leave, you don't have a, a plan for what life is gonna look like after you've left, but you know that it's dangerous when you're thinking about leaving and you wanna kind of problem solve, you can do that with us as well. We're not gonna judge you because you haven't left the relationship yet. You have facilities here if somebody does uh, enter the, the shelter. You have yeah. facilities for both single and families, mm -hmm. yep. right? Um, very nice facilities. Yeah. Yep. Um, so everything is taken care of. You have uh, a school at this yeah. facility as well. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about that school. Yeah, so we were the first domestic violence center in the, in the country uh, to have an accredited school on site for the safety of, of um, children of survivors. And it's, um, again, survivor focused. Uh, so <clears throat> the survivor decides, do I want my kids to go to school here? It used to be a K-8, but with testing requirements, it's now a K-5 um, uh, elementary school. Um, so, you know, while the family's in shelter, mom can say, okay, I want to transfer uh, my kids uh, to this school. And the school social worker for the Hillsborough County School District facilitates that and the kids go to school here on site um <clears throat> same thing with our daycare you know they might want to transfer their daycare um you know there's daycare or financial supports so they can transfer them to our daycare um for the time while they're here sometimes families want to keep their kids in the school that they they're at currently because they've got friends they've got some stability there um, and we'll also work with the school um, social work system um, to ensure that that child can go to school safely um, at the school they came from. But it's really a comfort for uh, a segment of survivors, particularly survivors whose partners have threatened their children's lives or have stalked their children or have weaponized their children um, in, in the um, violence process to be able to have their kids literally go to school on our campus mm -hmm. and know that they're behind secure walls and that they have security cameras and they've got people who know exactly what domestic violence is and the kinds of things that um, that can be a result of that in, as far as children's behaviors. It's really comforting for kids when they're going to school with other kids who've been through it because mm -hmm. you don't have to pretend that everything's great at home. Yeah. You can be honest, you can talk about how scary it is to have witnessed domestic violence. You can talk about how to be safe. Um, you can, you know, we spend a lot of time talking to kids about you're not responsible for what's happening um, between the adults in your household. It's not your job to keep mom safe. Um, it's your job to be a kid, and it's a job to keep, your job is to keep yourself safe if something bad happens. As part of the school, you have a fantastic <laughs> playground yeah, outside. It's yeah. covered, uh, you know, here in Florida. That's really important, right? right? Yep. It's beautiful uh, facilities for recreation yep. here as well. So yeah. the kids have things to do. Older kids, uh, you just tell us about the new media room you just opened for yeah. older so kids. Yeah, so our older kids, our poor older kids, for the longest time, you know, you'd have a 15-year-old and, and their 7-year-old sibling, and they'd be in the same big multi-purpose room. You know, that's not fun for the 15-year-old. They want to feel like they're grown up. So we repurposed one of our classrooms. It's still We still have a pull-out section for during the school day when a teacher's working one-on-one -on -one or two-on-one in the corner, but we took a very large 
classroom and t turned it into a teen hangout. So there's um, a gaming system, there's a sofa, there's snacks that are just available, you know, any time that they don't have to ask permission for. There's a clothing rack where we're putting brand new clothing. Um, the NFL actually, because of the NFL activities, because we're the Super Bowl champions this year, they were here on, uh, on site and gave us a bunch of brand new merchandise uh, so we've got some of that hanging up so kiddos can get stuff with, you know, brand new with tags on it and like athletic wear. I think it's Nike. I donated it. Um, so they can grab clothes. They don't have to, you know, ask for permission. They don't have to feel like, you know, they're, they're begging for something. They can just go get something off one of the hangers and be able to get a new outfit uh, and hang out in a space that is designed for them. So that's kind of exciting. We've, yeah. we've used the pandemic um, and the fact that we have fewer families in shelter because of social distancing uh, as an opportunity to make some improvements. So we've put new flooring in, mm -hmm. we've done some of these renovations to try and make the facility as close as possible feel like it's a home environment, right? Because yeah. if I'm gonna flee to a shelter, I wanna feel like I'm gonna be in a place that I that is my home, mm -hmm. not, not, not an institution, that's our goal. Well, what I'd like to do next week is talk a little bit about how anywhere in the country, if somebody has uh, either has an affiliation or knows someone or yeah. just based on our conversation, wants to become involved with uh, a facility similar to the spring here in Tampa in their local community, how they can do that. I want to learn right. a little bit more about your fundraising efforts and how people can get involved. If that's sure. okay. That'd be great. All right, Mindy. Thank you. Thanks, Todd. Thanks for listening this week to REA Audio. If you have any comments or suggestions for an upcoming episode, please let us know. Email Todd at reemployability.com. Also, please follow REA Audio on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also check out more content, including webinars, at listentorea.com. If you or someone you know is in need of help, please Google your state name and the words Domestic Violence Coalition for resources similar to the spring near you. Next week, we'll find out more about how you can help shelters and services like the spring in your part of the country. Again, thanks for listening and have a great week.